Welcome uh, to PVN students. My name is Ryan. I'm the youth and college guy here. Um, we are doing a series. We're kind of in the middle of a series called Stranger Things. And the point of this series is things that maybe are weird to those of us who are Christians or we've been in church for a long time and we, we kind of do these things all the time, but we don't really think about them. Maybe they're weird, like why do we do what we do? Why do we think the way we think? And especially to those who maybe, maybe you're new to the church game, as it were, uh, and you don't really know what all this means and what all this looks like. And for example, uh, the first week we did baptism. Kind of what does that look like and why do we baptize and why do we baptize the way that we baptize? And then last week uh, I was gone at seminary and Macon Jones came in and did a great job just kind of filling in from what I've heard. He did really well. So this week we're back into the series, and we're actually going to talk about the end of the world. Woo! We're going to talk about the end times, okay? So get excited for a real, for a real upper, okay? Um, but we are. We're going to talk about kind of the end of the world. I think it's going to be really good. I think there's a lot to learn. I have to go very quickly. Um, I'm going to have to use some, some rather large words, some SAT words, okay? Or, or PSAT or Georgia Milestone, whatever you guys are into, um, that you fill in the term of, that which you hate the most. Um, so, going to use some of that. Uh, stick with me, okay? And we're recording, right, Zeb? We're good to go? So, we're recording. The podcast will be here if you need to go back and listen to some of this. But if you'll hang with me, I think there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of depth in here that you guys will benefit from, okay? Cool? Um, I want to recommend two quick resources to you guys before we start. Because, again, you've got me for a little while, but then you're just kind of in the wind, okay? If you're just wondering, like, Ryan, how will the world end? I want to recommend a book for you. Lauren, go ahead. It's called How Will the World End? Guess what it's about, okay? Um, it's like this big. This book is like 90 pages. It's just kind of an introduction to kind of what the Bible says about the end times, different views on the end times. It's a great way to just kind of get your feet wet with some of that stuff, okay? And just go ahead and get it and then let it sit on the shelf until you're ready to read it, okay? Does that make sense? So How Will the World End? The next resource I want to give you, this is on the internet. David Platt is a wonderful pastor and teacher. I saw some uh, head nodding. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, he has a thing called Secret Church, where like once every few months he picks a topic and he just drills for like five hours uh, on whatever topic. And he does one on heaven, hell, and the end of the world. And I think it's Secret Church 13. So just Google that, and it's in like five different YouTube videos, and you can watch however much you're, you can until your brain starts to explode. And then you pause it, Go watch Netflix for an hour, reload, and come back. You see what I mean? Like, you can do that. there. And, and the reason, you know, and I get it. There, there are people in here who are not interested in that at all, who are not interested in that at all, and neither was I until it, it finally started to matter, until things in the Bible finally mattered. And then I had nowhere to go because no one had told me any resources to start with. Does that make sense? So I'm telling this to you guys for maybe later in life or, or tomorrow or tonight when, when you really start to think, I wonder about this. Now you have some things in your hands. Does that make sense? Okay, um, raise your hand if you like uh, after the movies when in the credits they show bloopers. You know what I'm talking about? Do you like that? I really like in the Toy Story movies they show those. Those are really funny. Uh, on YouTube, The Office has bloopers from every season. That is absolutely phenomenal. When Stanley yells, we get to go home, and everybody collapses. That's really funny. Uh, let's listen to some end of the world blooper reel. Okay, in 1844, ha, 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 already. Uh, in 1844, Baptist pastor, I hate that he was a Baptist too, because he's like, come on, man. Baptist pastor William Miller predicted the world would end and Christ would return on March 21st, 1844. When this didn't happen, Miller changed his prediction to October 22nd, 1844, which 
Did not happen again. So Miller was called, I kid you not, the great disappointment for the rest of his ministry career. You think history's boring. Check this out, right? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, now I need to be clear, um, th- and this is me speaking from Scripture, I do not view Jehovah's Witnesses as Christians. I do not be- view them as believers in Christ, okay? I'm more than willing to talk to you guys about that after. Um, but they also predicted that the second coming of Jesus, he would come in 1914, and he didn't. He would come in 1918, and he didn't. And then he would come in 1925, wrong-o, and he still never came. Um, in 1988, Bible student, I don't know what a Bible student is, I, like you got, we're all that, but Bible student and NASA engineer, Edgar Wisenot, wrote a book called, you may have heard of this, called 88 Reasons Jesus Will Return in 1988. It sold 300,000 copies across America, and he didn't come back. So, Wisenot decided to write uh, after being, oh, in the book, Wisenot says, the only way I'm wrong about this is if the Bible is wrong about this. And then after he was wrong about that, he wrote a similar book for Christ's return in 1989, Then he wrote another one in 1993, and he wrote another one in 1994. For some reason, these books were not as successful as the first one, which is weird. Um, In 1994, radio evangelist Harold Camping predicted that September 6, 1944, Christ would return. Camping was, you guessed it, wrong, and then changed his date. Like, how do you change it? He changed his date to May 21, 2011. Still no luck for camping. He then changed it one more time to October of that same year, only to be wrong again. And these were just the ones that I could find in like an hour's worth of research, okay? So, what does all this foolishness tell us? Let me balance that foolishness with some facts, okay? Ooh, right? Here we go. Um, The Pacific Ocean, all right? The world's largest one. The Pacific Ocean covers 60 million square miles. In average, so that's how long, in average, it's about 13,000 feet deep. In average, 13,000 feet deep. That's two and a half miles. That's driving from this building to our Murchie High School, then driving another half mile. That's how deep the Pacific Ocean is on average. According to the National Ocean and Atmospheric Association, which is a department of government that sounds awesome, uh, 80%, okay, 80% of the ocean remains unmapped and unexplored. 80%. You know what it's like when you get a 20 on a test, right? Amen, some of you guys? It's really, it's tough, right? That's how we've done so far at exploring the depths of the ocean. 20%. Um, It's so vast and complex, right? The more that smart people learn about it, the more they realize there is to learn. Does that make sense? It's not that the more they learn about it, the more they're like, got that, got that, got that. No, no. The more they learn about it, the more they realize they still have left to learn. Does that make sense? the more they realize we don't know. So if anybody comes up to you and says, I know everything about the ocean. I I got it. I got the ocean. I know everything about the ocean. You would know, based on what I just told you, that not only do they not know everything about the ocean, but they really don't have a clue what they're talking about. Does that make sense? If someone says to you, at this church, at the church you go to in college, at the church you go to in your adult life, that they have figured out the book of Revelation and they know what it's about. Don't be rude, which I don't have to tell you guys that, because you're amazing. Don't be rude, because there's plenty about this book that we do know, which we'll see in a minute. 
But while you listen to them politely tell you whatever it is they're going to tell you, remember that understanding the end times is like understanding the whole ocean. Does that make sense? The more we get, the more we see that there's stuff we actually don't know. Okay? If you were to ask Charles Spurgeon, St. Augustine, Jonathan Edwards, Billy Graham, and Martin Luther what would happen in the end times, all of them would give you a different answer. All of them would give you a different answer. Just to let you understand that, Charles Spurgeon, great pastor, by his 50th birthday, he had founded 66 organizations, read an average of six books a week, and wrote 140 of his own. Let me, just, let me just real quick. If that guy doesn't definitely know what happens at the end times, we don't know what's definitely going to happen at the end times. Does that make sense? Can we all like agree that we're not as smart as Charles Spurgeon? Okay? And he, you know, he, he, has his, he has what he believes is going to happen, but even he's not going to come down on a definite this is what's going to happen. Okay? Um, Tom, this is my favorite one. Tom Schreiner is a great pastor and a brilliant theological mind. He was preaching through the book of Revelation, like we do in the college class, kind of one verse at a time, right? He's preaching through the book of Revelation. He gets to chapter 20, and he changes his mind. So he gets to chapter 20 about this is what's going to happen in the end times, and then chapter 20 changes his mind, and he's like, I don't know that I've been telling you guys the right way this whole time. And Schreiner, he's not some fool, right? He says this, A month ago in this series, I would have said, I'm an amillennialist, which we'll talk about. Don't freak out. Please don't tune out. A month ago, I would have said I'm an amillennialist, but I've actually changed my mind as I've studied this passage. So how much are you really going to trust me tonight, right? So honestly, I'm pretty unstable about this. But it reminds me that we need not place our confidence in a preacher, but in the Word of God. That is exactly right. It's this book that we place our hope in, not what I say about it. Does that make sense? It's this book that we place our hope in. Fun fact, they took a poll. Revelation is the book in church. And I think you guys might agree with this. Revelation is the book in church that most churchgoers want to be taught. This is, if, you ha- if you get to pick one book for the pastor to preach on, Revelation is the number one. Because they don't understand it. Revelation is also the number one book that preachers don't want to preach because they don't understand it either. Okay, So we're all kind of on the same page here. Here's how this is going to go tonight. Um, Tonight, we're going to talk about Revelation for a little bit, because I'm just going to kind of give a big old view of the end times in Revelation, so that you have some tools to go out of here to work with. Does that make sense? Okay. A little bit about Revelation, a little bit about the end times, a little bit about the rapture, and then I'm going to tell you what I think, and we're going to close with some, some, some conclusions. All right? Does that make sense? So middle school, just kind of chug some water and get ready. High school, stay awake. Okay, deal? We're on the same page? Let's talk about the end of the world. All right, Revelation. Um, There are four main views of the book of Revelation. All right, so you got the book, right? What does it mean? How do we apply it? Well, there are four different ways you can do this, okay? And this is all people way smarter and way older than me, okay? Here we go. the first view of the book of Revelation, which again, for those of you who don't know, Revelation tells about how the world's going to end, how the end times are going to happen, okay? Uh, the end of the world, Christ coming back, life as we know it ending, and the eternal state, 
eternally with Jesus in the new, in the new heavens and the new earth, eternally in hell away from him. That's when this begins, at the end of Revelation. So, number one, the first view. All of it was fulfilled in the first four centuries. All of, it, all of this was symbolic, and it's already been fulfilled in the first four centuries. Um, a lot of the, the early church fathers, they believe that the Roman Empire, right, that's the evil beast in Revelation. Uh, Nero and all these other emperors, that's the Antichrist. That's what that's about. They're talking about that current time period. Revelation doesn't apply to us anymore. That's the first view, okay? We're all still here, okay? We're all still here? All right. Number two, it's being fulfilled now. Revelation is being fulfilled now in American European Christianity. Um, either today or, or kind of in the last 500 years is when Revelation's been complete. I'm just going to say what I'm going to say. Um, the Reformers, Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, these guys, the, the Reformation, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. You don't have to know what that is. I'll tell you about it later. Um, but basically, it's when Protestants, we Baptists, were Protestants. We broke off with Presbyterians, with Methodists, with others from the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, That's the Reformation. Reformers believe that the Roman Catholic Church was what's talked about in Revelation. That's the evil empire in those days. The Pope was the Antichrist. That's what the Reformers believed in those days. Make sense? Okay. Um, today, everybody believes everybody's the Antichrist. Uh, the atheists are the Antichrist. Uh, militant Islamics are the Antichrist. Osama bin Laden was the Antichrist, or Castro, or Saddam. Some people believe that former President Barack Obama was the Antichrist. Hopefully none of your parents, but I'm not going to, you know, whatever. Uh, some people believe current President Trump is the Antichrist. Okay, everybody, we're all good. Okay, some people believe that. Some people believe Oprah. You know, I don't know. Probably not. I don't think so. Um, she seems nice. I don't, we're not on the same page, but she seems nice. Uh, anyway, so, and don't tell your parents, like, Ryan loves Oprah. That's not what I said. Um, okay, okay, okay. Do not, if that's all you get from all the work I did on this. Um, okay. So that's the second view. It's being fulfilled now. The Antichrist is here now, right? The third view is that it's still going to be fulfilled in the future, right? So it's still, it's not here yet. Revelation's going to come in the future, okay? And, and either it's literally going to be fulfilled or it's all symbols. So it's going to be fulfilled in the future. And then number four, the last one, it's totally symbolic. Everything in Revelation is symbolic and it's being acted out symbolically through every age, through the medieval times, through the Industrial Revolution, through now, through the ancient church, Revelation is being acted out symbolically through Christ and Satan and his church and demons and all these other things over and over and over again. And eventually, Jesus will come in victory and this will end. Okay? Everybody's still good? We're all okay? We're all okay? You guys are wonderful. All right. Here's where it gets complex, but it's, it's good. All four of those views are helpful. See, this is where you can't just say, this is what I think about. Because all four of these views are helpful to us. So it's unfair to say, I just think it's all historic. I just think it's happening now. Because you miss these other views. Here's what I mean. The historic view, the first one, it was all fulfilled back in history in the first four centuries. That's helpful because we need to understand what the book meant to Christians when John the Apostle wrote it. Okay? We need to understand what that meant to them, because here's why. If you don't understand what it meant then, you're not going to know how to apply it now. Does that make sense? Jesus died on the cross. Well, if you don't understand 
that the, the idea of a sacrifice for you, then it doesn't make sense as to why he died in the first. He was sacrificed for us. He didn't just die. It was a sacrifice. Well, who cares that he was sacrificed? Well, in ancient Egypt, this is what. So he's the payment for our sin, the same way an unblemished lamb was the payment for their sin. You've got to understand what it meant then to understand how to apply it now. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so the historic view is important. And too often we try to just put the Bible in modern-day America right now. But it wasn't written with modern America in mind. So we miss that. You see what I mean? We kind of jump over it a little bit. All right. Um, the idea that it's being fulfilled, so that's the first view, why it's important that it happened so long ago. We need to know what it meant so long ago so that we can know how to apply it now. The second one, it's being fulfilled now, right, in modern Christianity. Well, we need to be aware of how the Bible applies to us today. So it is good to see, how, is, are there ways that Revelation is being fulfilled right now? Are there things we need to be on the lookout for right now? That's important. That's helpful for, for all the Bible books, right? How does Jonah apply to me right now? How does Ruth apply to me right now? How does Genesis apply right now? So that's good. The future view, obviously when we keep the future in mind, we need to look to the future with hope that God is in control, that God knows how the world's going to end. Revelation applies there. And lastly, and this is huge, this is my favorite one probably, the symbolic view. This is important because we can't make all these symbols so real that we're looking for them everywhere. There are things all over the internet. You know the stuff like I don't know, there's an episode of Glee where Finn sees Jesus' face on a grilled cheese sandwich. There's online, there's, I just gained some of you and I just lost some of you there. There's, there's this scene, there's this thing on the internet where like, there's like two different cloths that, that look like Jesus' face and they have their own Wikipedia page. Um, there's Jesus, you know, people see Jesus' face on foods and waffles and pancakes and all these different things. There's this thing on Google Maps where you can look this up. There's this thing on Google Maps where if you type in the right longitude and latitude or whatever, it, it'll show, and you do like street view, you know, of Google Maps, you can see like the clouds, and it looks like Mary holding, like it, it's pretty legit, it looks like Mary holding baby Jesus. It's not, obviously, but like there are all these different symbols, and oh, what does it mean? What are we doing? And, and see, next week, when we talk about spiritual warfare, that's one of the many problems with spiritual warfare, is that Satan wants to distract you so much with the mystic, Right? with the hauntings and the YouTube videos and, the, and all these things. He wants to do it with, with the face on the cloth and the face on the pancake. and the, there's, the, there's this Bible in Alabama that apparently is just leaking oil and all these different things. Look it up. Uh, and like everybody goes to see that, but I wonder how many of those people line up to go to church on Sunday. Does that make sense? You see how Satan distracts us with the mystic so that we don't focus on the sinful and how Jesus can help us with that. Does that make sense? A proper view of Revelation and a healthy respect for the symbols in real life, a healthy respect for the symbols going on in Revelation, the real stuff going on in Revelation, that way we're not looking for it everywhere. And we're so distracted with the mystical that we miss the legitimate stuff that Christ wants us to see. Does that make sense? All right. Another thing. This is important. If I said, help me out, I don't know, Logan, let's give it a shot. If I said, don't worry, you're going to be fine. If I said, maybe not, I don't know. If I said once upon a time, what genre is that? I'm telling you a what? A fairy tale. Yes, it's perfect. I'm telling you, let's give it up for Logan. Amazing. <laughs> Grammar scholar. If I say once upon a time, I'm telling you a fairy tale. So you're going to listen to it way differently 
That if I come in and just tell you, guys, look at what just happened out here just a second ago. That's historical fact, right? But if I say once upon a time, you know you don't have to remember all of it. It's for entertainment only. It's not meant to be believed. Does that make sense? Those are two different genres, okay? Two different genres. Revelation, the one book, holds in it three different genres, all in the same book, okay? It's apocalyptic. It focuses on the end times. It's prophetic, telling the future like Ezekiel, Daniel, and Micah. It's also a letter to the church from John to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So it's meant to encourage the people of God. It's not meant to, there's parts of it that are meant to tell the future. There's parts of it that are meant to encourage. There's parts of it that's meant to talk about the end times. And we have to be sure we're separating those. Does that make sense? We've got to be sure they're separating those. If I tell a once upon a time, and then you come in and tell it, like, you'll never guess what just happened. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to take that literal. You see how you have to read it differently? So one of the reasons we struggle to figure out what Revelation means about how the world is going to end is because John's intention when he wrote it was not to lay out a specific ending of the world. Does that make sense? That was not his specific intention. It's meant to encourage Christians in light of the big events that are about to happen. Um, you may want to write down or circle, or you can look. You don't have to, and Lauren, don't worry about it. But Revelation 1-3, actually, go ahead, Lauren, I'm sorry. I, I'm throwing you off. Revelation 1-3, this was what John wrote to the church. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep or obey what is written in it, for the time is near. So he's, he's trying to tell you, obey what I'm about to tell you. He's not saying, here comes the big future telling, right? Here, he says prophecy in there, but he says, obey what I'm telling you to do. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible is 15 verses long. Eight of those 15 verses are encouraging God's people to stay faithful, to obey, to continue to lean in and stay faithful to Him. David Platt perfectly says, When we look at the book of Revelation, we do not need to get so caught up in looking at charts that we don't look at our own hearts and lives. Do you see what he means there? When we look at the book of Revelation, we do not need to get so caught up in looking at charts that we don't look at our own hearts and lives. You can get so caught up in, how's it going to end? How's it going to end? That John himself, the dude who wrote it, would tell you, that's, that's not what I want you to get caught up in. I need you to stay faithful. I need you to obey God. It is arrogant and ignorant to only focus on the end and not to primarily focus on being obedient and loving Jesus to the end. If we just focus on the end, what does it all mean? Where's it all going to go? And we don't focus on obeying Him. You could spend all day debating Revelation and then going home and looking at pornography. You could spend all day debating Revelation and go home and be rude to your parents. And you've kind of missed John's whole point there. Does that make sense? It's not about figuring out the end. It's about being obedient to the end. That's John's point. Uh, I met a guy at this thing called Jesus in the Hood. Uh, some of you guys know about it. Some of you guys have helped out with it a little bit. Jesus in the Hood. Yes, we could probably work on the name. I didn't write it. Okay, I'm just kind of there to help. Um, but anyway, and he was talking to me. He didn't know who I was. And we're kind of talking about Jesus a little bit. And at the end of the discussion, he gives me this book that he and his friends are studying. And it's on the end times. And that's, I'm 
you know, that's nice, but I really, the fact that he handed me a book on the end times instead of about uh, the Bible, that's the problem. You see what I'm saying? That's the problem. When reading Revelation, read it from the perspective of trying to be obedient to the end, not from the perspective of trying to figure out the end. Does that make sense? Because I don't want you to go home and be like, well, there's no point in me reading Revelation. Who cares? John's hope, remember, John was writing to people, most of them didn't even know how to read. So he's not going to put these, this multi-layered epic of all these things that you've got to decode and Nicholas Cage from National Treasures doing the thing with light. Like it's not, that's not what his point was. Read, Revelation will be so much more helpful to you if you read it with the intention of help me be obedient in light of the end, not help me figure out the end. Does that make sense? With that being said, let's talk about the end. All right, what, what's going to happen at the end? How's it going to end, right? All right, here we go. Again, everybody just kind of do this little cross this over. Everybody okay? Stay, thank you, Katie, for doing that with me. Uh, everybody's loose. Here we go. Let's talk about the end. What's going to happen at the end? How's it going to happen? How's it all going to go down? That depends on what you think Revelation 20 means. Revelation chapter 20. We're not going to read it all. I'm just going to give you the SparkNote version of it. Revelation 20, this is what it says, essentially. There will come a thousand-year period, which is called a millennium, right? Decade, ten years, century, a hundred years, millennium, a thousand. There will come a thousand-year period where Satan is bound. He is thrown into a pit. The door is closed on top of him. He will have no more influence. After that, dead saints will rise in what's called the first resurrection. This is all in, verse, in chapter 20. After which, after this thousand-year period, Satan will be let out to make one final assault against the church in Christ with all his unbelievers. Spoiler alert, he'll lose, okay? And they will all face final judgment, all right? That's what Revelation 20 teaches. Here's where we have three different roads. When is that 1,000-year period? When is that? Some people think it's happening right now. We're going to tell you about it in a second. Some people think it's going to happen after Jesus comes back. So Jesus comes back, here comes the thousand-year period. Some people think it will happen, and then Jesus will come to kind of cap it off. Okay? So some people think it's happening now. Some people think Jesus will come and reign for a thousand years, and then it'll be over. Some people think we'll have this thousand-year period, and then Jesus will come back. Does that make sense? We're all on the same page. Yes? Okay? All right. Thank you, Livy. Nice verbal response. Um, Okay, now, keep in mind, I, haven't, I don't know if that was Livy. Was that you, Livy, that was like, yes, I'm with you? Okay, fine. Well, I'm trying to give you some... Oh, awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you, Thurber. Um, here we go. I haven't even asked you if this thousand years is symbolic or not, right? Which we really don't know, so keep that in mind as well. Here are the three views of Revelation 20. And I just told them to you, right? Those are those three views of Revelation 20. And this is important, because how you see this will affect how you see what's going on in the church today. All right? Here we go. Um, and it'll help us interpret. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Help us interpret. Here we go. Uh, so will Jesus come back before the millennium? Will the millennium happen and then Jesus returns? Or are we in the millennium right now? And the millennium is how many years? Tell me. All right, here we go. Here's the first view. Pre-millennial. Okay? Not millennial like 2000s, love Snapchat, whatever. Thousand years, right? Pre-millennial. Jesus will come back before the millennium begins. This is the most popular view in recent years. Most of your parents probably line up here, okay? And that's okay. It's not a bad thing. Um, there really isn't a wrong answer here, as we're about to find out. 
Um, there will be what's called this great tribulation, according to this belief, this great suffering that's going to come in the world among Christians. After the great tribulation, Jesus will return. Once he returns, he will stop the suffering and bring a thousand years of peace and joy as Satan is locked away for a millennium yeah, before the final judgment. This is where the rapture happens too, right? Rapture, everyone's gone. Suffering for seven years. Thousand year period of peace. Satan comes back one more time for a final assault on the church and then he's locked away. The Left Behind series, are you guys even remotely familiar with this? Left Behind, a lot of the, yeah. Some of the, like the old folks, yeah, and they know what I'm talking about. This is, this is pre-millennial. That's what they believe, all right? That's one. You guys are doing great. This is the next one. This is the amillennial view, not pre or post. The amillennial view, which means the millennium is happening right now. We are in the millennium right now. In this view, obviously, the millennium is a symbolic amount of time. It's a symbol for what's happening. It's, it's not literally a thousand years. We're in a long period of time right now. Under this view, Satan was chained and thrown into the pit when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That was Satan's defeat. Now Satan cannot ultimately win. Christ's sacrifice and resurrection has secured victory for his people. We are in what I would call maybe the age of the cross, where Satan cannot stop the spread of the gospel. Jesus can return at any minute to end this age and the cross, uh, to end this age and begin the final judgment. So that's amillennial. So premillennial, amillennial. Last one, postmillennial. One day, there will be an age where the gospel essentially takes over the world. World peace. The gospel is the most popular and the most believed religion, and society will flourish for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, Jesus will come to kind of cap it all off. Okay, That's the post-millennial view. He's coming back after the millennium. All right? Pre-millennium, Jesus comes back before a thousand years. A-millennial, we're in it now. He can come back at any time. Post-millennial, we happen. Jesus comes back at the end. All right, we're all still okay? Those are the three views of Revelation. Congratulations, you're now light years ahead of everyone else at your school. Okay, cool. And a lot of churches too. Okay, a little toot my own horn there, sorry. Uh, here we go. So, so which view is it? Is it a-millennial? Is it pre-millennial? Is it post-millennial? David Platt, who is about 450,000 times smarter than me, is an amillennial, just so you know. He's amillennial, which means we're in it right now. Christ could come back at any time. Satan is chained right now. But he said, quote, if someone in persecution put a gun to my head and told me to turn to premillennial, I would do it real quick, which is, which is David Platt's way of saying this doctrine of how the world is going to end should not divide us in that you don't have to agree on this to be a Christian. Does that make sense? You can have different views on this and still be a Christian and still go to the same small group and everything's... You can believe whatever you want about the millennium under those three views and be a member of our church. It's totally okay. And most churches. And you'll probably know more about it than most churches. Does that make sense? Like, you, that's okay. It's not what's called essential doctrine. In other words, you have to believe this to be a Christian. Um, Wayne Grudem, who's a research professor and theologian, is a premillennialist. Christ will come back, then the thousand-year period. He says, my degree of certainty on this is less than other doctrines. Um, so here we go. There are good and bad with all of these. Again, we don't have the exact... There are good and bad. Um, premillennialism. Christ will come back. He'll take everybody in the rapture, tribulation. Christ comes back to rule for a thousand years. The Bible is not explicitly clear about two different returns of Jesus, a secret rapture and then a big return. We just kind of have the big return. 
There's not a huge amount of evidence for him coming back for a secret rapture and then coming back for one big shebang. Um, shebang is Greek, obviously, right there. So, and obviously, when Christ comes back, right, thousand-year period, then Satan and all the unbelievers attack him. The question is, where do these unbelievers come from if Christ is reigning for a thousand years? How can you rule the world for a thousand years and then unbelievers are there? Keep that in mind. Amillennialism has problems. I don't like the, 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 the verbiage that Satan has been bound up. Like Remember, a thousand years happening right now. Satan was bound when Christ died on the cross. Obviously, Satan is defeated and that the gospel will continue to spread, but I don't like the idea that he is completely useless and helpless at this point. Uh, the apostles wrote, you know, Peter, remember how Peter describes him. He's a lion waiting to prowl and attack. Uh, he's, he's called the power of the prince of the air. He, he, he works in the heavenly realms. He's the Lord of the earth right now in 2 Corinthians 4. So the apostles, these guys who are directly connected to the cross, they don't write about him like he's been defanged. Does that make sense? That's the issue I have with amillennialism. And last one, postmillennialism. The, the last days, according to Jesus, according to Paul, are riddled with suffering. People will be lovers of self. Uh, betrayers of parents, murderers, gossips, inv inventing ways of evil. Jesus says the last days will be marked with suffering so much that his own people may turn against him. This doesn't sound like a thousand years of peace before Christ returns. Does that make sense? So now that you're brimming with confidence in all these, let me tell you, let's talk real quick about the rapture, and then I'll tell you what I think. All right? And I'm kind of telling you what I think anyway. Here's the rapture. Rapture is a Latin word, raptura, which means to seize or to carry away. It's this belief that Christ will come back, remember, premillennial, before the millennium. He'll come back before the tribulation begins, and he'll take all the Christians with him. So they don't have to endure the tribulation. During the tribulation, more people will repent and turn to him. Then Christ will come back. Um, this idea of a rapture only began to get really popular in the 1800s. So it's a relatively new idea in terms of popularity. And it's rooted in this idea of separating the church from unbelieving Israel, which is something that we'll talk about way later, uh, if at all. It's this idea that the church is going to get taken up, then Israel will repent during the tribulation, and here comes Jesus. So the whole point of it was not to map out an end times, it was to separate the church from Israel. Okay? A lot of the verses that people use to support the rapture, Matthew 24, 40, is this one that some of you guys have heard before. You know, two will be lying in bed, one will be taken, the other will remain. Two will be working in the field. One will be taken. One will remain. The problem with that is, right before that verse, Christ is talking about Noah's ark and the flood of judgment coming on people. And then he goes into, two will be taken, or one will be taken, one will remain. One will be taken. That seems to imply that the one being taken is being taken up into judgment. Do you see that? Not rescued. Does that make sense? And again, it kind of depends on how you see that. I'm not going to sit here and be like, no, Okay. The other one that people use is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17, where it talks about being taken up to meet him in the air. This word for taken up, it also means to be done in public. There's a trumpet blowing in 1 Thessalonians 4. This seems pretty public to me. This is not just a and they're gone, and a secret return. Does that make sense? And these are the verses that we use very intently for the rapture. Um, I would be very hesitant Okay, now this was the 80s, I would literally be thrown in jail at this point. Because like the return, like the end time, that was the deal, right? That was the deal. Zeb knows what I'm talking about back in the 80s. Um, that was it. Here's where I am, okay? Here's where I am on this, 
and I don't think it's going to be super helpful, so here we go. Uh, I am what's called, at this point, I'm what's called a classical premillennialist. Um, what that means is, remember, Christ is going to return, his big return, he'll rule for a thousand years, then at the very end of this, Satan and his people will come out, and Christ will defeat them decisively, then the eternal state will begin, heaven or hell, right? Um, again, classical millennialism has its problems. Uh, I'm not totally on board scripturally with the rapture, okay? Let me say it. Do not go home and tell your parents, Ryan doesn't think the rapture's real. That's not what I said. I'm not totally convinced through scripture. I need to sit down with some people way smarter than I am, but just on what I've taken, I don't see that, okay? I don't see that. And you can do premillennialism without the rapture. It just means that when Jesus comes back, he'll call us to himself, 1 Thessalonians 4, He'll, he'll take us up, and the period of peace will begin, and then the judgment. It's all together, but without the wrap. You see what I'm saying? That's kind of where I float. Now, I will say, as I've been studying this, amillennialism has started to make a lot more sense to me. This idea that, I, again, I don't, uh, Satan, I don't think he's really been chained up, but amillennialism is the one where all the pieces kind of fit together. It makes sense that there can be suffering and Jesus can rule. Where do the unbelievers come from in premillennialism? Well, amillennialism, there it is, says there can be, um, there's unbelievers right now and Jesus is ruling right now. So amillennialism kind of makes sense to me. Postmillennialism still doesn't, unfortunately. So where does this leave us? Three things and then we're done. Three things. Number one, God is sovereign. Sovereign means he does what he wants, when he wants, because he wants to. That's it. Um, the point that John was trying to make to struggling Christians is dictators are not sovereign. Roman empires are not sovereign. Pollution is not sovereign. This is coming up a lot lately that we're going to end up like Wally. You've seen that movie where everybody's got to leave, right? I'm going to be real, real with you. That's not how the world's going to end. It's just not, guys. It's not biblical. That's not in there. Yes, we need to be good stewards of the earth. Of course we do. But the world's not going to end like that. The Lord has shown us this is where we're going to go. All of these events and all these kings are in the palm of God's hand, and He controls when and how everything will end. Number two, and this is huge, the Bible was written so that every generation can be ready for Christ's return. It's written so every generation can be ready for the end. Think about that. If the Bible said Christ is coming in the year 3020, it would cause certain, I believe, Christians to tune out. Because He's not coming back, so what's the big deal? He's not coming back, what's, or to lose hope. He's not coming back for a thousand years. What hope do I have? But the Bible is written where every generation will be ready. Every generation reads Revelation 22. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Every generation reads that. I think that's a great way to write the book. Matthew 24, Jesus says, The hour is unknown for my return. Number three, last one. Whatever you believe about it, Christ is coming. David Platt says, two things are certain in your life. You will suffer, and Christ is coming. He's coming to make everything right. He's coming to fix what's wrong in your life. He's coming to change everything. Uh, I'm a nerd. You'll get over it. In Lord of the Rings, in one of the books, uh, Samwise is talking to Gandalf. Tolkien wrote this. Tolkien's good friends with C.S. Lewis. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue when the king comes back? Is everything sad going to come untrue when the king comes back? Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this. Some people say of temporary suffering, no future heaven can make up for it, but they don't understand that once we get to heaven and the new heavens and the new earth, everything bad will begin to work backwards and all our agonies will turn 
to glory. So there's this thing that happens in heaven where all the bad things in your life are flipped backwards and they begin to work for good. You begin to see all the good that the Lord was doing in your life in those bad times. So now they turn from bad to blessing. This is going to be unbelievable. And I don't know how to explain it any better, but I can't wait to see it. Revelation, the last verse of the Bible, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I'll be here to talk at the end. Let me pray, and then Brooke's going to do announcements, and then we're out. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for our study of the end. Thank you for how these students have paid such great attention. We pray that we will take these tools and use them to help us better understand your book and and when you come back. Help us to read Revelation not with the desire to know everything about the end, but to know how we can obey you better towards the end. In Christ's name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.